Okay, I'm glad you're all here. We've got a bunch of, uh, bunch of different ideas to talk about today. Um, we just started a, a new book in the Torah, uh, Vayikra, also known as uh, Leviticus. And uh, it's talking about basically the, the Holy Temple, the Holy Mishkan, which was kind of the, the porthole between heaven and earth. And we'll hopefully hear some more ideas about that. It was also um, dedicated on the first day of Nisan. The first day of Nisan is, is very significant because there's an opinion in the, in the Gomorrah that the first day of Nisan, which is, you know, the spring month, um, the month that uh, Pesach, Passover uh, occurs in, was actually when the world was created. So there's a debate, was it in Tishrei, where we celebrate um, Rosh Hashanah, the, the Jewish New Year, was that when the world was created? And by the way, even according to that opinion, you should know something very important, which is that we, we don't celebrate the uh, creation of the world on the day that the physical universe was created, but rather on the sixth day of creation when human beings were created. Because that's the purpose and the goal of creation. So, so even, even then, it's on the sixth day. So, so anyway, was it in Tishrei or was it in, or was it in Nisan? So that's a debate in and of itself and many unbelievable teachings come from reconciling those things and showing the distinction between those two things, but we're not going to focus on that so much right now. Just understand that the Mishkan, the tabernacle in the desert, which was the prototype for the base of Migdash, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, was dedicated on the first of Nisan. And that that in itself, that tabernacle was a microcosm of both the entire world and of the human being, and the Medrash teaches that God celebrated when the Mishkan was finished, like he did when the entire world was created. So you see, it's like very much like the creation of the world. Okay? You've got a little Aleph at the end of Vayikra. And this shows on the humility of Moshe. And also Hashem is just sort of whispering to Moshe. And this happened in the, in the tabernacle. And it says something really interesting that God spoke to Moshe between the wings of the angel on top of the ark, the golden ark where the Torah tablets were. That there was a little space, it was like basically an ama wide, and through that wingspan, the voice of Hashem would appear to Moshe, but only Moshe heard it. Okay? And I saw something very beautiful from Rabbeinu Bechaya that says that that, that length of space, basically is the same length of space, that area between the wingspan of the angels, where God communicates to human beings in other ways. It's almost the length of a person's tongue. So when a person speaks, sometimes, sometimes that's God communicating to the world also. It's also the width of a person's mouth. It's also the length of a person's heart. And it's also approximately the length of the male organ as well. So, in other words, these are all different agencies through which God communicates His will into the world. You know, it's, it's, a, very, it's a very deep, amazing teaching, actually. And, um, and the, the prototype for that, that measurement is, is the wingspan of the two angels in the Holy of Holies through which Hashem spoke with Moshe Rabbeinu. So, it's like there's, there's a lot going on there. But anyway, it was a very quiet communication. Just Moshe heard it. But to Moshe, it sounded like 
a very loud voice. Okay, so, so, boy, there's so much to talk about. I'm a little bit overwhelmed right now. But, but uh, let me make one point, one connection, which I just, we'll have to develop it further another time. But just for you to hear the idea, I think the idea itself is very striking. If you look in the Rashi uh, about the Ark, and now I'm talking about Noah's Ark, right? He has a whole chronology, the different stages that the world got flooded, and the different stages that the water left the world, and the Ark finally found its resting place. If you look, when the Ark actually landed on dry ground after the flood, when it finally hit the ground, now they hadn't left the Ark yet, They had not left the ark yet. But when the ark finally landed on the ground, that was Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the first day of the month of Nisan. Now, what's kind of interesting beyond that, there are a lot of parallels that we're going to discuss in a moment here. So, you see, just so we're all very clear what's going on here, you have the ark, Noah's ark, landing on the first day of Nisan, the same day that the Mishkan was also dedicated. Now, there are two structures in the Torah which are, 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 are designed with very, very precise measurements. These two structures are the tabernacle and the ark that Noah got into. So you see that there's two very, very, you know, parallel situations over here. Two constructs that were done with very specific measurements. They both sort of took root, they both landed on the same day. Not only that, but you've got the Mishkan, we said, was a miniature of the entire world. What was in Noah's Ark? All that remained from the last world. This was the beginning of the starting of the new world. Right? Not only that, but this is where it really gets heavy, okay? The deeper sources teach that Noah was reincarnated as Moshe. Moshe was the one who dedicated the Mishkan. So here you have on the first of Nisan, Noah, so to speak, meeting Moshe, who are the same soul, right? In other words, the first day of Nisan, which is the creation of the entire world, is the soul's encounter with itself on the level of a second chance, because it's the recreation of the world. It's a new world, but it's also the old world recreating itself. It's a new opportunity, right? It's the beginning, but it's also a second chance. All of these come together right now. You know, I heard from my father-in-law a very deep teaching. He said on the word mazel. Mazel is... uh, is translated as luck in English, but it's um, a very bad translation. Mazel actually means like a divine flow. So he says that the letters of Mazel stand for Makum Zman Lasos, meaning the Mem of Mazel means place, the Zion of Mazel means time, which means that what does it mean for something for one's destiny to kick in, so to speak? You have to be at the right place, at the right time, 
See, but that's where a lot of people stop. They just stop right there. They just kind of stand around, right, on Sunset Boulevard, just waiting, waiting for something to happen. I'm going to be discovered, right? But what about the Lamed of Mazel? That means lasos, to do. You have to be in the right place at the right time, and then you have to do something. Right? That's, that's what it is. It requires actual action. So now listen to this. Isn't it interesting that you've got the beginning of the world in Nissan? It's also kind of the recreation of the world, because this is when Noah's Ark is landing, which is the second opportunity for the world, right? But it's also the month that we have to leave Egypt. You have to take a positive action. You have to leave Egypt, right? You can't just sort of like, okay, now's the moment for creation. Now what? Now do something. Now do something. Take a positive action. That's leaving Egypt. Okay. So now, you see... You see something really intense here. Listen to this. This is from Parsha's Pekude. This is the last Parsha of um, Sefer Shmos, the book of Exodus. If you look here, uh, chapter 40, verse uh, 17 and 18, it says, um, it says, Moshe put up the tabernacle, and, uh, and it uses the word S. S ha. S is Aleph. Tuff, okay, which spans the first letter of the olive base to the last letter of the olive base. Olive Tuff says by the beginning of the Torah, Breshis bara Elokim es hashemayim de es haaretz. That with the letters, basically on a deeper level, what's this s doing in there? What does it mean? God created the heavens and the earth. You're throwing in the word s, olive. And tough, two times in there. Esa Shemaim de Esa Aretz. Because it says, again, in the deeper sources, that God created the world with the letters of the Olive Bays. Olive through tough. He used these energies. If you want to just, don't think of them necessarily even as, as, as letters. Think of them as different energy wavelengths, if you will. That might be one way to conceptualize them. He combined all these things and created the physical universe. Okay? Olive through tough. Now, what it talks about the completion, the putting up of the Mishkan, it says, Vayakem Moshe es ha-Mishkan. Okay, he put up the Mishkan, olive through top. Now it says over here, in the name of the Sforno, and also um, the Rabbeinu uh, Bechaya goes on about it as well. I'm just going to read this to you. The definite article, meaning S, Aleph through Tuf, alludes to the heavenly tabernacle, which Mo, what Moshe did below was reflected above. In other words, this little S, it's not just a small little grammatical S. This little S is hinting at the fact that when Moshe made the Mishkan below, there was one dedicated at the same time up in Shemayim, up in heaven. Okay? Not only that, but it uses the word, it uses the word Pala. Now, Rashi jumps all over this. And now you have to skip around. You have to go to the beginning of uh, Sefer Bamidbar, the book of Numbers, chapter 7, verse 1. It says here in English, it was, on, it was on the day that Moshe finished erecting the tabernacle that he anointed it and sanctified it in all of its utensils, and the altar in all of its utensils. 
and he anointed them and sanctified them. Okay? Now you look at the Rashi over here. It says, Bayi Bayom Kalos. Kalos, if you remove the Vav from Kalos, says, says Rashi, it spells the word Kala, which means bride. Which means Moshe was like the groom, and the tabernacle was like the bride. And it was like Klai Yisrael, the nation of Israel, stepping under the wedding canopy. But now when you see that there was at simultaneously a heavenly mishkan above and one below being erected, and that it was the Jewish people, and it was sort of like this, this joining of the Jewish people in Hashem, and we know according to the Ramban that the whole idea of the tabernacle was a re- an ongoing reenactment of the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, which was the marriage between God and the Jewish people, between heaven and earth. Between heaven and earth. Okay? So, so this, is, this is the idea of the bride and the groom, of the heavenly Mishkan, the one below, both of them happening simultaneously. The idea of the Mishkan being a porthole between heaven and earth, connecting heaven and earth, and an ongoing experience of the Mount Sinai revelation. Joining of heaven and earth. Very intense. And all these things are, all these things are going on. Okay. See, you know, when we say that we really want God to rebuild the base of Migdash, we're not talking about, we're not talking about an office building. We're talking about the rectification of the world. We're talking about the healing of the world. The joining of heaven and earth. This is, what, this is what we want. This is what we want. This is the perfection of creation. But the amazing thing is that things happen in a very particular way, in a very concrete way. Okay. So, so I'd like to continue with this idea, maybe go a little bit deeper. You know, those of you who have been coming to the talks recently know that I've sort of been trying to wrap my mind around and I've been getting very, I'm very fascinated by this concept of Atbash. Right? So I've got a new Atbash for you. Okay? So Atbash, for those of you who um, are unfamiliar with it, is it's a, it's a system of letter exchange. And the Gomorrah talks about it in, in Masechta Shabbos and Kuf Dalit. Um, what Akbash is, is there are 22 letters in the, in, the, in the Hebrew alphabet. And so you take 11, the first 11 letters, and then you take the next 11 letters, and you put them underneath, and now you've got correlations between the first 11 letters and the next 11 letters in the Aleph base. So that Aleph correlates with Tuf, the first letter with the last letter. Base correlates with Shin. The second letter and the second to last letter, Resh, with um, with Gimel, okay, and you can just flip them over, you just switch them over, okay. And um, where is this in Masechta Shabbos? What daf and Kuf Dalit, which in itself is an Atbash. I realized, you know, like it's an amazing thing, you know, so. It's the fourth letter and the fourth to last letter, Kuf and Dalit. And you have many amazing things in Akbash, like, for instance, there's a word, a famous word that's the same in Akbash as it is regularly, Tzedakah. 
Tzedakah is the same in both systems. And you begin to explore the infinity of the Torah this way. Or this is another, another way to access the infinite levels that the Torah is, is functioning on. Um, again, I, I'm fascinated by this example that the Balaturim brings. And just, I, I bring this also to show you just the, the opportunities um, and how, how deep the Torah is, is functioning, you know, all the time. He takes the word Ketoris. Ketoris means um, incense. It's the incense that's brought in the base of Migdash, right? Look at the word Ketoris. But, but more importantly, look at the Balatorim's methodology. Look what he's doing here. How many gates he's opening up for drushes, you know, for, for deep analysis, okay? Take the word Ketoris. Okay, so it's spelled Kuf, Tet, Resh, Taf. So Resh and Taf, that's 400 and 200, that's 600. Tet is 9, that's 609. Now what letter is left is the letter Kuf. He atbashes the letter Kuf, turns it into Dalit, which is 4. So 609 plus 4 is 613. So he turns Ketoris into 613, which of course is the number of mitzvahs in the Torah. That's an amazing thing, but even more amazing is his methodology. Because he only atbashes one letter, and then takes the gematria of the new word, and darshans that. Now, imagine that everything is contained in the Torah. So where is the conversation that all of us are having in this room right now in the Torah? Well, if you know how to do stuff like that, you can find it pretty quickly, right? Because everything is there. Everything is there. Everything is there. Because it's not a book. This is what we keep on, keep on forgetting. The Torah is not a book. It's this infinite creation that's just, just as an end. Okay. So, with that in mind, and to sort of give a, sort of a precedent a little bit for what I'm going to do right now, I want to, I want to do a bit of atbash. So, so I'm excited about this because I never tried something like this before. But here you go. So the first word of Vayikra, we says has a tiny aleph, right? So I'm dancing at the happy meaning on Shabbos and I'm thinking about this, right? And then I thought to myself, well, what if you atbash that little aleph with a tough, right? But then I thought, wait a second, it's a little aleph so if you really want to go to the end of the spectrum, you'd need a big tough. And then I remembered, oh yeah, there's a big tough at the end of Megillus Esther. And it's a very big word. And the Gomorrah jumps on it and talks about it in Yuma 29a. The word is Vatichtov. So what's going on with this word Vatichtov, the big tough? So listen to this. I'm going to read you from the, uh, the Art Scroll edition here on page 132, number 29. If you want to see the big tough for yourself, it's uh, chapter 9, verse 29. Okay? So, so here, I'll read you the verse. Then Queen Esther. Victif Tov is, by the way, talking about Queen Esther. Okay? Then Queen Esther, daughter of Avichal, and Mordechai the Jew, wrote with full authority to ratify the second letter of Purim. All right? So at the end of the, the, the great salvation of Purim, which you know, 
was all about the hidden face of God, but then you find out after the fact that God was there all along, right? So listen to what they say. Why is it a big tough? And the word rope. The tich tav means rope, past tense. The letter tough in this word is enlarged to indicate that just as the tough is the last letter of the alphabet, so is the story of Esther the end of all the miracles to be included in the Torah. So in other words, that's the end. That's the end. Uh, So now we're going to see a lot of relationships between the little letter, the little Aleph of Vayikra and the big Tav of Vatikhtov. Okay? And between the word Vayikra and Vatikhtov. And remember, there's something very beautiful here, just the fact that it's, it's this word ace. And we showed you how ace spans creation, right? It's from the beginning to the end. And God made the world out of the Hebrew letters. And it's hinted at right at the very first opening pasuk, the opening verse of, of the Torah itself. Okay. So now look how conceptually... These two words, on a conceptual level, they're, they're also atbashes. They're also sort of opposites. Because Vayikra has a tiny alf. But that was, that was an open revelation. That was God speaking to Moshe. It was an open revelation. But it was hidden. Because only Moshe heard it. Okay? An open revelation, but only Moshe heard it. That's the little Aleph. What's the big tough? The big tough is all about how God is concealed, and yet after the fact you find out that he was there all along. Everyone finds out that he was there all along. You see how there's one end of the spectrum to the other. One is, one is openly revealed, yet unknown, the other is unknown and then revealed for all the world to see. Okay, not only that, but you see between this little Aleph and the big Tuff, the entire history of the world. How so? Because we said that Vayikra, that calling out to Moshe happened on the first of Nisan. And the first of Nisan celebrates the creation of the world according to one opinion. At the very least, it was when the Mishkan was dedicated, which is a microcosm of the entire world. Okay? So that's the beginning of the world. That's the Aleph. And the Tuf, we know the Tuf of Megillus Esther, we know that Purim is going to be celebrated. It's one of the holidays the Rambam brings that's going to be celebrated even after Mashiach comes. So the Tuf keeps on going, keeps on going, keeps on going, never ends. It stands for the end of the end of the end of creation because it, that Purim is never going to stop. And what are we going to realize at the end of days? That as much as God seems to have been concealed throughout history, He was operating it the entire time. He was running every aspect of creation the entire time. So there we have from the olive to the top, the beginning of the world, all the way to the end of the world. Okay? Okay. So now, now I want to share a story with you. It's one of my favorite stories, actually. And uh, I don't think I ever shared it with you. Something really cool. Um, you know, it says at the beginning of, it says at the beginning of Vayikra, 
It's talking about the fire that you have to bring. Alright? It says that the Kahanim had to bring the fire for the altar. But in another place, it says that there was a divine fire on the altar at all times. Now listen to this. Listen to how cool this is. That means that on the altar you had a combination of heavenly fire and human-made fire. Can you imagine what that looked like? Fire that we made combined with divine fire, mixed together. Usually you don't think of the mixing of fires, right? But here was a mixture of fires. So, I want to tell you a story. It was before Rosh Hashanah. It was the night of Slichos, where you, you know, at uh, 12 o'clock or 1 in the morning or whatever it is, you, you begin the, the final dash toward Rosh Hashanah. And everyone gets up late at night and says these special prayers. And that's like, it's kind of like the home stretch for, for the Yom Adin, you know, for Judgment Day. So, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. So, I was there with um, a few of the people from the Happy Minion. And we were there a little bit early. The, uh, the, uh, the uh, service hadn't taken place yet. And we realized that we were going to need a larger room to hold the Rosh Hashanah service. So we, were, we had gotten the space, but we were kind of doing a checklist in our mind. What did we need to have there to make sure that, the, that, the, that we'd be able to, you know, you know have the, uh, be able to dive in there, basically. So, so someone said, oh, you know something? We need an, an ark to put the Torah in. You know, that's, that's a, like a very particular item. You can't, you need that, you know? So, 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 yeah, so we kind of nodded our head and agreed, we need an ark, you know? At that moment, someone walks into the room who hadn't been there, just walked into the room and said, do you guys need an ark for Rosh Hashanah? <laughs> and there are witnesses to this. I'm telling you, a thousand percent this happened. You know, I was there. So we were like, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so you think that's the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. So, uh, uh, on Rosh Hashanah, the ark, we got the ark, and it was like an armoire. A lot of times people take armoires and turn them into, you know, places to put tourist girls. So it was an armoire. It was put there in, in front of the, the shul, and, um, you know, which was in the you know, uh, a karate academy that we, you know, switch over last minute before shows. And uh, Rosh Hashanah is about to start. It's, it's really just a few minutes away. And then someone brings the Torah scroll and opens up the ark to put it in place to, you know, to get everything ready for the service. And we realize the shelves are still in there. And they're not slide-out shelves. So you can't put the Torah in the ark. So, and there's only a few minutes before the holiday is about to start. And so what are we going to do? So we had some, we had like a, you know, a couple of people were helping us out, you know, as custodians and things like that. And this thing was pretty heavy. We got it outside into the parking lot and they were banging with hammers. I mean, it was like, it was, it was, it was in there. It was, it, it was very hard to get out, you know? And they're hacking away and banging and, and, and you know, like just, and, and they finally were able to do it, but it took a tremendous amount of work under very high pressure 
in order to get that done, and then we were able to get it in front of the shul before Rosh Hashanah started, and we got the Torah scroll in there. So, this made a huge impression on me. And I'll tell you why. Because you see there was an open miracle at the beginning of this story, and yet that wasn't enough. It still required human effort on top of that. Even in the presence of a miracle, it still required human effort on top of that. So you've got the divine fire, but you have to mix that with the human fire, with the man-made fire. And then that combination, that's what makes that portal, that's what makes the, all the offerings ascend, right? It's a big lesson to me. We have to figure out how to apply this to our own lives, you know? The fact that we wake up every morning, that's sort of like, oh, you need a body? You were just talking about how you need a body? There's a body. <laughs> okay, now go ahead and do something with it. <laughs> oh, wait, did you have to exert some effort to get out of bed? <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, well, you take care of that. You know, make the effort, right? Um, all right, now listen. Let's talk some more about the Mishkan. There's something really amazing here. I saw this. This is a, a teaching from Reb Shlomo Karlbach. And basically, he, he says something very interesting. He says, he says, when you bring an offering to the base of Migdash, here, I'm going to quote it. This is from the middle of a talk that he gave. When I love somebody very much and I hurt their feelings, and I say, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings, what do I mean to say? I'm basically saying I'm not capable of hurting you because I love you so much. Some stupid spirit came over me and I used words which I don't mean. What I'm saying to the person is, it didn't come from the depths of my heart. So when you come to the Holy Temple, on the one hand, Things come clear to you. This is not what I want. You see? You see what it is? Is that when you bring, when you do a mistake, it's clear to me that this is not what I want. This is not who I want to be. This is not what I want from myself. And, uh, and Reb Shlomo says, so, so you bring a sacrifice and sacrifice is one of those terrible English words. It's not, it's not a sacrifice. A korban, korban, comes from the word karov, which means to, to be close. So the actual little, literal word, you want to see how, how much of a disconnect there is between English and Hebrew? Okay. What you're bringing is actually, literally speaking, a closening, right? Korban comes from karov, which means to be close to. You're bringing a closening. And look what the English word is. You're bringing a sacrifice. <laughs> I mean, do you see the corruption of Torah ideology when it gets translated into English or into any other language? It's 
it's, I mean, it's enough to... Anyway. You know, I always tell you, but I'll tell you one more time. We fast one day a year because the Torah was translated. On the 10th of Teves, look at the reasons why we fast. One of the reasons is because the Torah was translated into another language. Because of all of these types of disconnects. Okay? Anyway. But Rip Shlomo goes on to make a, a much deeper point. A much, much deeper point. He says, you know something? And I think this is true for all of us. It's one thing to know what you don't want. You say, you know something, I spoke Lashon Hara, or I did some Avera, or I, I broke this, or I broke that, and God, that's not who I am. I don't want that. But what do you want? Who do you want to be? What do you want to be? A lot of times we're all just thinking, that's not me, and that's not me, and I didn't mean to do that, and I didn't mean to do that. Okay, I believe you, I accept it. But what do you mean to be? What do you want? And now listen to what Rip Shlomo says. Because to me it was a big mystery. I never understood it. I never understood it. But now you'll get like a total foundation. What was the music in the base of Migdash all about? We know the Levim were playing divine songs in the base of Migdash. What was the music all about? So up until now in my ignorance, I didn't have an answer for that. I thought, well, you know, it's... It's inspiring. <laughs> it makes the whole experience nicer. Rep Shlomo says, the music was there to open up your heart for you to realize what you do want to be. That's huge. That's huge. That's huge. Because, you know, that means when you left the base of Migdash, that was a very satisfying experience. You didn't just leave saying, okay, I fixed that up, but I'm in a state of confusion again. What did we say the Mishkan was? What did we say the base of Mikdash was? It's the marriage of heaven and earth. So it has to be a complete experience. Not only do you get rid of the stuff that you don't want, but you realize what it is that you do want. So, so you know, as, as, as Pesach ascends, right, it's around the corner, we've got to think about what we do want. And then we have to have the courage to, uh, to do it, you know. I'll tell you something. I got, as part of my Shalach Munis from a special friend, you know, Got to quote him here. He put a, a blessing on the Shalach Munis card. So, he's such a special guy. He says, I asked him, I said, did you write this just for me? Right? He said, he said I wrote a few and then... <laughs> so, I got this one. I was so happy to get this one, you know. But he has special kavanah, so, you know. says, may you come... May you connect to endless joy, this Purim, and throughout the year. May you regain faith and certainty in yourself and the power of your beautiful soul. Right? So that's, that's, that's my blessing to you guys also. 
that that you turn this into a complete experience. That you don't just leave Egypt, but that you go to Mount Sinai. That you go to a place of completion and clarity as well. And that you have the courage to maintain that journey. You see, because it doesn't mean you're not going to make any more mistakes once you have clarity. Remember, Mount Sinai was a two-part experience. There was the first set of tablets and the second set of tablets. The first set of tablets culminated with the sin of the golden calf and the smashing of the tablets. The second set of tablets came down on Yom Kippur. And so to speak, these are the tablets that we have till this day. In other words, clarity doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes anymore. Clarity comes with mistakes, but clarity also comes with the knowledge of forgiveness. Because if you really know what you're supposed to be doing, and you make a mistake along the way, you will be forgiven for that mistake. You will be forgiven for that mistake. The type of mistakes that people have trouble forgiving or when someone is so reckless and they didn't care and everything like that, and they don't even have insight into what they did wrong. You know, if someone is like a, like a bull in a china shop and then destroys all of your stuff and then apologizes, but you know he's still a bull in a china shop and he's going to do it right again because he doesn't know how to change his behavior, it's very hard to accept the apology for that person. If you know the next round is just... Days, weeks, months away, he's going to do it again. But if you know that that person is actually trying to work on themselves and trying to gain clarity, and that person makes a mistake, but they know what they did wrong, then that's a person that you can forgive. That's a person that God forgives. For sure, 1,000%. And if the person doesn't forgive you, then either you don't have the level of insight that you need, that you think you have, you don't have it yet, or that person is not your real friend. One or the other. One or the other. You have to either take a, and you have to either take a deeper look into yourself, or you've got to move on. You know? So, so, so let's all leave Egypt. Let's leave Egypt, but not just leave Egypt and then stand in the middle of the desert and go, now what? That's not what the Jews did. They left Egypt, they went to Mount Sinai. Remember, Pesach and Shavuos, when we got the Torah, are linked. In fact, they're so linked that a date isn't even given for Shavuos, because God doesn't want you to think of it as a separate holiday. It says, the date of Shavuos in the Torah is 50 days after Pesach. That's the date. doesn't tell you the calendar day. Because when you leave a bad place, you have to have in mind where you're going. Clarity. Clarity. And remember, it doesn't mean you're not going to make any more mistakes. But there's forgiveness. Because we got the second set of tablets on Yom Kippur. Okay? So... So none of that happens, by the way, without courage. None of that happens without courage. And courage 
is encouraged unless it's combined with effort. So let's take our human fire and combine it with the divine fire. Someone told me something beautiful, that the two fires are God's love for us and our love for God. And that's the combination of the two fires. God's love for us and our love for God intermingling. And uh, God willing, we should see really the complete redemption. Yeah.